Hello and welcome back to There Was an Idea, a Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. I'm your host TK, a teacher and pop culture enthusiast. In this episode, a superhero house call. I'm joined by longtime friend of the podcast CH and newcomer Ray Cerulean to discuss the big ideas of Hawkeye Episode 4, Partners, am I right? If you're enjoying the podcast, you can follow me for updates and behind-the-scenes extras at anidea underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. And please consider leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. You can also support the podcast and hook up your friends and family with some There Was an Idea swag this holiday season by purchasing merchandise from Spring. Link is in the show notes. Enjoy the episode. Today, I am very excited to welcome two friends to the show to discuss Hawkeye episode four. First is a voice that longtime listeners of the podcast will recognize as a return guest who always brings some humorous takes to our discussions of the MCU. It's CH. Welcome back. Thank you so much for having me back. I'm uh, really excited. Really, really excited to be here. And joining CH today is a brand new guest to the show. Welcome, Ray Cerulean. Hello, everyone. Thanks for having me. I'm I'm excited to be with TK and CH. <laughs> it's the initials club. And RC. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's RC it. RC. Sure. Very nice. Very nice. <laughs> now, Ray, since it's your first time here, we'll start with the there was an idea initiation question. Mm-hmm. What is your relationship to the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Okay, so... I think my relationship has grown in the past year, definitely. I was um I was raised in an MCU family. Um, but I like was resistant to join <laughs> to join the cult of the MCU. And when we started dating, you were also not into the MCU at no. that time. Um, and I was like, cool, like somebody that doesn't isn't into it. Like <laughs> And yeah, now you're really into it. And that's honestly why I've started watching Hawkeye is because of Because I was going to watch it and you were going to be in the same room. Yeah. So, (laughs) but like I do enjoy like superhero shows. It's not that I don't enjoy it. I think it was more of a vendetta against my own family. Mm. But so, you know, now I'm, I think I've, my relationship has, has begun. (laughs) We're in the honeymoon phase. Yeah, I really like that. And I like the phrase was raised in an MCU family. I'm definitely going to be taking that and applying it in other aspects of my life. But (laughs) it's funny you say that about being in this honeymoon in this honeymoon phase of your relationship now, because what's been really fun about having these discussions with CH for the past year and a half almost is that longtime listeners of the podcast have been able to follow your journey with the MCU in real time. And Mm -hmm. this podcast holds the ongoing record of your introduction into this world and the expansion of it as well. So anyone who may be new to the show for our Hawkeye coverage, I highly encourage you to check out CH's previous appearances, especially the MCU Top 5s episode, if you haven't already. And when you were on that episode, you listed WandaVision as your favorite of the MCU Disney Plus series. So tell us, what makes that one a successful MCU series for you? And what are the qualities that you're looking for in one of these shows? I think so. I think one of the reasons I'm 
so drawn to WandaVision is that, I think I said this on your top five episode, but it has the thing that I love so much in TV shows, which is things that are simultaneously very silly and very serious. You know, most of my favorite shows and movies are that. Um, And WandaVision does a really great job of it um, being like, you know, the sitcom parodies combined with this like very deep and emotional like exploration of grief. So that's the reason I like WandaVision in particular. In terms of like kind of generally philosophically, what I would like from MCU shows is for them to be TV shows and not, you know, six hour movies that are chopped every hour. Mm-hmm. Um, because those are really truly two different things. You know, in a TV show, you need to have each episode standalone with a beginning, a middle, and an end, and a plot. That episode also needs to be part of a larger, usually, season that has a beginning, a middle, and an end, and a distinct plot. And then usually that season is part of a whole series that has a beginning, a middle, and a distinct plot. So I feel like WandaVision and Loki have done a pretty good job of like maintaining TV format. I kind of thought Falcon and Winter Soldier was a little more like a chopped up movie. You know, if I think back on that show, like I have no idea what happened in each episode. I remember like the overall plot of what happened, but episode to episode, I have no clue. And if, you know, if you look at like a really well-made episodic show, like Buffy, which is that's right, obviously the one that we always bring up together, it has like that perfect delineation of episode has a monster of the week and its own plot, which then fits into the big bad of the season, which has its own plot, which then fits into kind of like the overall plot of the entire series where the main villain is like the patriarchy. Um, (laughs) So, (laughs) so like that, like, clear delineation of like things existing within a context. Like that's what I want from a TV show, any TV show, but also an MCU, an MCU show because um, it's a little easier, I think in that world to be a chopped up movie. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. And it's funny, you know, we kind of chuckled at your, your joke of the main villain of the entire series of Buffy being the patriarchy. But I think that that's actually something that seems to be, present in these MCU series where sure you have your 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 villains you have your lesser villains but there's also for most of them there seems to be some kind of thematic larger idea that is actually mm-hmm. the thing that is um that our heroes are being confronted with and i i like that as a fan of buffy that's something that i i i too look for i don't know if you listened to last week's episode it's okay if you didn't you don't have to tell me but we spoke <laughs> We spoke in the last few minutes about Hush because last week's episode, I I talked a lot about communication and how and how there were artistic stylistic decisions that were made and techniques that were used to make the to make the audience member think about their relationship to communication and how we hear and, and auditorily experience the world. So I uh, anytime I can, I like to make those connections to Buffy. So thank you for that. Now, yeah, and I, mm-hmm. I did listen to your last episode, and I had also been thinking about Hush when watching the last episode of Hawkeye. See, I knew you would um, be. I knew you would yeah, have listened, exactly. and I knew you would exactly. have been. Buffy, like, also has that, like, 
communication trilogy of like hush Mm -hmm. the body and once more with feeling where like each one of those episodes like explores like a different part of communication and like what happens when that's missing or changed we should do that someday yeah Yeah, we should do that (laughs) now ray when you were listening to ch talk about Mm -hmm. these other series that we've been watching for the past year any of these did you pop in and out while they were watching these on tv have you seen any of these are you drawn to any of these wandavision falcon loki I definitely sat in the room for episodes of Loki. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, I think that was the first one that I, like, said I was watching, but I drew the whole time while I watched it (laughs) by accident. Um, (laughs) And I think an episode of WandaVision, but I didn't watch it. I think the only, like, superhero series I've watched is The Flash, which I know is DC. I'm kidding. (laughs) So, like, not for this podcast. (laughs) I'm just joking. joking. So that brings me to what then has it been about Hawkeye that has called to you? What is it about this one that you're not just going to stay in the room, but you're actually watching it week to week and engaging with it? I honestly feel like because it's kind of ridiculous a little bit, like it's it's like... (laughs) Not a serious show at all, Um, although at the same time it is. But, like, kind of what, you know, CH was talking about before being, like, serious but, like, humorous at the same time. I also really like Kate. I think that she gives me Katniss vibes. A big (laughs) Hunger Games fan. So I think that drew me in. (laughs) I like it. When you were talking before about that, looking for that balance of – the absurdity and the goofiness, the shenanigans, as they say on WandaVision, with the more serious tone. I was thinking to myself, too, mm. about how that was something that that really appealed to me and worked for me on WandaVision in the same way that it, it worked for me in a show like Buffy. And I have to say, so far for Hawkeye, I'm finding that as well. So I, I feel validated by your also recognizing that, Ray. And would you say it's the same? Would, would you say it's the same for you, CH? Yeah, I think so. It it definitely does have that, like, really good blend. And I think, like, you know, Mm -hmm. we haven't gotten to the end of this show yet. So I don't know, like, you know, I don't know what it's going to wind up, like, really being about. Like, what's the, like, point of the show? Um, I feel like the the drama of the show is not that dramatic to me. You know, Mm -hmm. a lot of it is very, like, kind of, like, action-based drama. Um. Though I think in the past episode, we got a little more of the, like, deeper things with Clint, you know, yeah. talking about his family, talking about Natasha and things like that. Yeah, like the Christmas party. Yeah. I think that started giving some more, like, interpersonal drama that I, like, like. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I think, yeah, this this show does have a lot of the silly that I really like that's in and, like, balances it well with the drama. Now, what about Hawkeye himself? So, CH, you've been somebody who... You have, in the past year and a half, watched all of the installments of the MCU film series alike. And when we first spoke about The Avengers 2012, we we had some fun conversations about Hawkeye. The thing that stands out to me is we, we spoke about his leather outfit. And we spoke about how he... Uh, there, there's not much to, to glean from, from that portrayal about who this character really is because he is under Loki's mind control for a lot of that film. What were your thoughts on Hawkeye before this series 
premiered. And have those thoughts changed at all after watching four episodes of the show? So, yes, I am on record on this podcast making fun of Hawkeye and calling him a leather daddy repeatedly. Um, <laughs> he does wear less leather these days, I've noticed. It actually seems like Kate is, like, taking over a lot of the leather vibes in the team. How do you feel about that? Um, I think she looks great. <laughs> <laughs> I think she honestly pulls it off way better. And I think, you know, Clint was never, like, a favorite character of mine. Like, I... I Quite frankly, I think, like, never really cared about him. You know, if I think about, like, he's he's in Avengers and he's under mind control. He has a slightly bigger role in Age of Ultron. He, like, has, like, a bigger thing with Wanda and Pietro. And that's, like, you know, it's cool. It's fine. Um, and he comes back in an endgame and has his thing with Natasha. And I think he just kind of... He was always just kind of a little bland to me. I was like, like the thing about Clint that I've always liked the most is that he's married to Linda Carlini, um, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I, I quite frankly don't think that's changed all that much. Like I'm not like now like <laughs> oh my god I love Clint Barton he's my favorite. He's still like okay like he's kind of an asshole, but he you know seems to like his family. <laughs> He's slightly more interesting. To, he's slightly more interesting now, but I think too part of the problem with Clint is that we don't know anything about him in the MCU. So I, I think I find it hard to like really care about him. We're really don't know anything about him outside of his like bow and arrow, his and his wife and kids. I think making this story a Christmas story was genius because it allows. Jeremy Renner and his portrayal of Clint to like lean into this. You, you you said asshole. I'm gonna be a little bit nicer. I'll say Grinch. It allows him to lean into a little bit of like a Grinch type personality, <laughs> yeah. right? And not that obviously he cares very much about celebrating Christmas with his family. So not in that respect, but in terms of this reluctant role model, in terms of his reluctant friendship relationship with uh, with Kate. I think that it was appropriate that they kind of gave him this story. And and of course, this is a story heavily, perhaps more heavily inspired by than others by the by the comics run. So I, you know, my personality. So I'm a little bit more of the like, oh, my gosh, I think I love him now. Um, (laughs) But but (laughs) yeah, that's how it happens whenever like, you know, someone. (laughs) <laughs> oh called out oh my goodness <laughs> you heard it here here first uh, if i know you i love you um I think it might be true i don't know but yeah I, I i think you're absolutely right despite that being a joke uh, targeted at me but despite that i i do think it's like yes like i feel like i've gotten to know him more and so now i have that that attachment to to caring about him and i think this episode did, did a lot for our learning about clint and your relationship with him and therefore our relationship yes yeah. i would say i care about clint like mm-hmm. definitely i like feel for him like i feel mm-hmm. his trauma Do yeah. you know what i mean but i don't have any backstory on him mm-hmm. whatsoever so i have a very different like yeah. i think impression than the two of you so, but that's a really interesting perspective to bring in because I, that's kind of where I was going to ask you next. As somebody who didn't have that baggage that we MCU fans kind of have 
with Hawkeye, right? For you to come into a new series and feel like, oh, this protagonist is working for me. I care about him. That's that's telling. Yeah, I think so, definitely. And I feel like last episode, we were like, like, I feel like I was already kind of making connections to bigger themes with Hawkeye. Like, we were talking a lot about, like... um, like the military being a theme. And I think that me realizing that made me more empathetic with Clint, like thinking of him as somebody that had to endure time in the military-esque makes me like feel bad for him, I guess, you know? And like, it makes sense why he's like so grumpy all the time, you know? Yeah, like imagine you know, serving in the military and seeing battle and then having to sit down and watch a Christmas time Broadway, Broadway musical about that play out in front of you. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, that's kind of, you know, that's sort of where, what it was getting at in terms of his trauma that mm-hmm. he, that he has experienced here. And I think we have some more to say about these ideas as we, as we talk about episode four, but before we really dig into the episode, I do want to hear just kind of Speaking in general terms, what did we think of episode four of Hawkeye as, as you were saying before, a unique installment within the series, within the larger MCU? We'll, st- we'll start with you, CH. What did you think of episode four? I loved it. I thought it was a great episode. Um, this episode four and episode three, um, both of those, like, they got to the end and I was like, uh, excuse me, that's it? Like, that episode was five minutes long. So short. Um so short and it's like so immersive that I got like so sucked into it and then I was like what do you mean it's over who what do you mean Burton Birdie directed it like <laughs> um so I thought it was a great episode Burton I was very Ernie? excited Burton Birdie I'm not kidding. to be actually if you <laughs> if you look them up on Wikipedia it does say like not to be confused with Burton Ernie oh that's hilarious um, yeah so I, I thought it was a great episode I really liked it I would I would also agree. I think this one was probably my favorite episode of them so far. And I think I think it's because I really liked I thought that there were some really good scenes in there. Um like I liked the development of Clint and Kate's relationship with each other. I think that was probably my favorite part of the episode. Yeah, but Sam, I was like this was not 40 minutes long. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very, very much hoping that the final two episodes are a little bit longer because between the previously on and the credits, it's it, it ends up being like 35 minutes of, of show. And I, we need a lot more yeah. than that. There's a lot going on in this series and a lot of really excellent things. And mm-hmm. I, I'll say that I do think episode three is still my favorite, but I think this episode was a really important bridge between the the high level of action and emotional beats in episode three especially that scene with clint and his son on the phone i think that's the scene that that maybe made me fully like i think i'm a fan of of clint now um so i'm also anticipating that next week will be explosive again in terms of action in terms of emotional stuff going on so i think this one was kind of a necessary bridge between the two as you know you're speaking with someone who is a huge fan of Black Widow, of Natasha. So her, her presence. <laughs> you? No I way. know. It's, it's you surprising, are? right? I know. 
I I didn't even think you saw that movie. <laughs> once or twice. <laughs> oh yeah, um, just once or twice. Um, wow. Maybe we we should we should watch that on New Year's if you want. <laughs> sure, we can watch it with Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> yeah, she's upstairs right now. Yeah, she's up in your uh, in your TV room, right? <laughs> yeah, hanging out. Um, so. Natasha's presence was really felt in this episode, and I appreciated mm-hmm. that very much. It was something I was looking for going into this series, because if they want us to fully buy in to the closeness between Clint and Natasha, then show, don't tell, right? And I, I do think they've done a good job of showing the impact that her death has had on him and the guilt that he's carrying from that. So I appreciated her presence here. And... I also appreciated the balance of you you were talking so articulately about the silly and the serious. And I think that that scene, the ugly sweater scene really captures that. It felt very real to me of, of a night between friends, maybe, maybe people who aren't even that close yet, but having a good time drinking some frozen daiquiri of sorts and watching Christmas movies, but then also kind of having that moment of um, seriousness that having that moment of connection. So I really enjoyed the episode, and as you all know, here on There Was an Idea, we track the patterns that speak to the big thematic ideas of the series or the movie we're discussing, and so far for Hawkeye, my guest and I, we've talked about this idea of legacy and Clint dealing with this dual legacy of of heroism and then also this hurt and pain that he's caused, and that was very much on display in this episode and we've also spoken about, as, as we were talking about, the theme of communication in the previous episode and the themes of inspiration, what it means to be a role model and all of these things. And I'm finding now that we're in episode four, we're getting very much into that question that I've been interested in, which is like, what is the Hawkeye identity story? What does it mean to be Hawkeye? And if this is, in fact, a story in which the Hawkeye mantle is passed to Kate what are the things that the two of them are going to have in common? So I, I do think that we got a lot related to that in this episode, but I'm curious to to hear your thoughts. Are any of those themes that I mentioned ringing true for you guys in your, in your watching experience? Yeah. You know, I was thinking about when this episode, um, the kind of the theme of like the image and the legacy of Hawkeye. Um, and one of the things I noticed was at the very beginning when Jack you know, is holding the sword to Clint and, um, you know, finally realizes who he is. He calls him Archer, you know? So like, you know, it's kind of like, what is the legacy of Hawkeye when this random person doesn't even know his superhero mm-hmm. name? However, Eleanor is immediately, immediately recognize him and says, why is there an Avenger in my kitchen? So I, I think that that was kind of just like an, an interesting note on kind of that image of Hawkeye as being the, like a, quote-unquote lesser Avenger, you know, no one would call Captain America by the wrong name. Um, it's a branding issue. It's a branding issue, exactly. That's what Kate keeps telling us. I know, she's right. <laughs> I think, too, this you know, this episode had some, like, good development on the relationship between Clint and Kate passing that mantle, um, you know, as formed more of, like, a mentor-mentee type of thing in this episode with, um, you know, the quarter-flicking... Yeah. Thing. Good protege, protege. Yeah, protege, protege. <laughs> um, and um, the arrow, the our arrows. What a hard phrase to say. 
Our, our arrows. arrows. Our arrows. Our arrows. <laughs> our arrows. Thank you. Wow. A new vocal warm up for when we podcast. Yeah, really. Our arrows. Um, thing. So those are kind of like the little moments that that I noticed pertaining to those um, themes, which I thought were a good kind of like progression of those ideas. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think like I don't know. I think the. <laughs> Kate just keep bringing up that it's a branding issue and I just think that that's hysterical uh, <laughs> but yeah I don't know like with Kate and Clint's relationship like what you were talking about like mentor mentee um, I like eat that up like I love that those types of relationships in TV shows but also it's like Clint is so wishy-washy about it too that that also that that bothers me because I'm like, bro, you just got to commit, like say yes or no and just stick with it. Like you are giving Kate so many mixed signals, this poor 22 year old, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so you both are welcome to come back on the podcast to do Latin declensions anytime because protege protege was very nice. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's not a Latin declension. But it reminded me. I think it's French, right? Exactly. But it reminded me of doing Latin declensions when I when I had to take Latin back in school. So, (laughs) so thank you for that. No, I think that you are both speaking to things that have been on my mind. And when Ch, when you were talking about what Eleanor and Jack call him when they first meet him in this episode, I very much had my eye on that. And I so what people are called and who is calling them that is very revealing. And I think it does connect to that ongoing question of how people see these heroes versus how they see themselves. And she starts, as you said, why is there an Avenger in my dining room, right? So first and foremost, identified as an Avenger, as being part of this group who are known for what they're known for, and typically very positive within the MCU, this group of heroes, certainly seem to be received very positively in New York where Eleanor and Jack live. So there's that connotation that's brought in there. As you said, he calls, Jack calls him Archer, which is not only hilarious because of the branding issue and because of his being a lesser known Avenger whose name is not even known, but it also connects him to his skill and his weapon. And he refers to himself as a weapon later. And I thought that was interesting. And then Kate calls him Hawkeye, which is his superhero name, the name by which she has idolized him for so long. It makes sense that she calls him Hawkeye. And then he just introduces himself as Clint. So it's this progression. And then she, Kate, in her attempt at more closeness to your point about mixed signals, Ray, right? Like she's just dying Mm -hmm. for this guy to see her and to appreciate her. And she has this attempt at closeness and nicknaming him CB1, which is ridiculous and and borderline (laughs) kind of annoying, right? Like, but it says so much. It says so much about who they are in relationship to each other. So I was very intrigued by this sequence of naming as, as pertains to Clint. I also, so I just thought of this, but there was this scene shortly after that where Eleanor and Kate are making fun of Jack because he gets English idioms wrong a lot. And I don't know if they were putting that in there as like a way to say like, that's why he calls Clint Archer instead of Hmm. Hawkeye, or if that's, you know, a a related kind of English translation thing or something Hmm. like that, but... 
I felt like they were putting that in as like humanizing Jack because mm. to me, like Jack doesn't seem like he's not a very likable character, and I feel like they tried to do that with the scene of him dancing. Dancing yeah. that seemed like a like a performance. I was like so mm. uncomfortable. Do you in mean that dancing? Scene. Dancing? <laughs> yeah. Yes. It was like so weird. Yeah. Um, Anyway, like, you know? Yeah, and singing the wrong lyrics to the Christmas song. Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Um, it's, I, I'm glad you brought up Jack. I Since the beginning of the series, my take on this has been that it seems like he has been set up to be a red a red herring as to who is mm-hmm. kind of like the bad guy here. And we, we do know from this episode that he is associated with the company that is laundering money for the tracksuit mafia. I still think there's probably more to that. To your point about humanizing him, I agree. I feel like in this episode, it humanizes him not just to us, but also to Kate, because she's kind of like, you can tell by her mm-hmm. face that she thinks it's kind of cute, even if it is a little cringe, but it seems like she's she's happy mm-hmm. that her mom is happy. So I'm kind of curious at this point if he is just a, um, just kind of a dummy of sorts. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. versus being bad, I don't know. What do you, what do you guys think about that? It's funny because we've like actually talked about this because yeah. I think I turned to you maybe the first episode when we were watching, and I was like, "He's a bad guy, right?" <laughs> um, like I used those words because I thought maybe like it was yeah that you know in the universe. Um, and then you were like, "I don't know, it's too obvious, like yeah. red herring." So kind of same type of thoughts around that yeah I know it's it's hard to tell because I think he he's definitely up to some sketchy things Mm -hmm. he doesn't really seem like a mastermind by any stretch um you know I think it's probably more likely that Eleanor is a bit more of like an evil mastermind than Jack but or they could just be in cahoots it's really I don't know. I don't. I don't want to make like a firm prediction. I think more likely it would be Eleanor. Eleanor but. is cahooting Jack. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's what's happening. <laughs> what a verb, cahooting. She might be cahooting him. Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's what I think. There. I'm inclined to but agree. I'm like you've convinced me. <laughs> Are, wait, is someone cahooting someone else in this relationship? I don't know. <laughs> I think in terms of the MCU, you're definitely cahooting me. I am cahooting you. Yeah. yeah. The truth comes out. The truth comes out. Well, since we're kind of on this topic of what's going on in terms of the plot mechanics of the show, I agree that Eleanor has been my pick for who is pulling some strings here, at least in the relationship between the two of them. I agree with you too, that obviously he's, he's involved in some sketchy stuff. We know that, but I would agree that she seems to be much more the person who would be in the position of power. And there's a lot to kind of decipher here because we're also seeing antagonists Mm -hmm. in the character of Maya Lopez. And now Mm -hmm. with our friend Yelena being back with Maya Lopez's uncle, who many viewers of the show are speculating wildly about who that might be and who that will likely be, connecting to the show Daredevil. So there's a lot kind of going on with the mechanics. I, to, well, 
right? Have you seen the Black Widow movie? We we talked about it before, and I just got so flustered that I didn't even ask you <laughs> if you've seen it. I have not. No. So, did you know who Yelena Belova was? Um, I did not. No, I I didn't. No. I mean, I recognized the actor. <laughs> and how did that make you feel? I like fell in love like immediately. I was like, wow. Once she took off that mask. Yeah. It was like I also enjoyed when she took off the mask. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I don't bare face, no makeup. So by the way, I'm pretty searing sure eyes. searing eyes. I'm yeah. pretty sure Kate also really enjoyed when she took off the mask. Oh my god, definitely. Kate was like literally like locked arrow on her and Elena just like made a face and she was like, I can't shoot her, she's too hot. I think that's funny, but also I think the reason why she didn't was because she was I, – I read this somewhere because I was being, like, geeky before and, like, <laughs> reading stuff. And But I, like, agreed with this point that she was thinking back to when Clint was, like – when mm-hmm. she was asking him, what's, like, yeah. what's your best shot? And Clint was, like, the one I didn't take, like, referring yeah. to Natasha. Yeah. And so they're saying that it's, like, the same thing, like, Yelena right. is, like, the next Black Widow type of yeah. deal. And it's, like, Yelena does, like, a little shake of her head. She's yeah. like, no, don't shoot me. Yeah. Um, and Kate puts her arrow down. While we're on, since we're talking about... <laughs> what? A three-way cahoot. A three-way cahoot, Oh, yeah. boy. Um, <laughs> since we're talking about Yelena, and we were just talking about Eleanor, um... Hmm. Is it supposed to be obvious that Eleanor called in for Yelena or because that was how I read it? So this is Um. how I read it as well. My interpretation is, okay, Eleanor, after her moment with Clint, in which Eleanor appears both as a, a protective parent, right? She's not a superhero. Sure, she's good at what she does, but being good at what you do doesn't keep you alive. Okay, she's a protective parent, but also she's being kind of a jerk because with her line, Natasha Romanoff was good at it, wasn't she? Right? Oof. Oh, like, oh Clint, yeah. You have kids, right? There's something off. Right. There's, there's something off. So after yeah, that, definitely. the phone call she makes, my interpretation was, okay, so she's calling Val, who I know Rager not necessarily right. familiar with, but Val shows up in the post credit scene of Black Widow, and Val is showing Yelena a picture of Clint saying, this is the guy who killed your sister. Go get him, essentially, right? So my take is like, okay, that was the phone call to Val. Val goes to get Yelena. So I'm with you, but I know that other fans are speculating that it could be other people who Eleanor called. I don't know if we will definitively find out, but I'm I'm with you. I also yes. wanted to say to your point, Ray, um, that yes, Florence Pugh and our beloved Yelena Belova, uh, absolutely gorgeous. And I'm yes. sure that anybody in that position, you know, seeing that mask come off would just be absolutely taken by by her beauty. And also, <laughs> you know, here we are again, right? I, and this is true whenever you're on the show, the balance of the serious and the silly, it is both something that I, I too was like, oh, a little bit of chemistry there. Like, I like that. But also, yeah. also, it was a very, I th- do think it was a very poignant moment. And I absolutely agree with um, whatever it is that you said that, um, that you saw about that point of, of this, setting up a parallel between Kate and Clint, setting up this new Hawkeye and this new Black Widow and it being the the shot that she didn't take. And likewise, Yelena didn't... Yelena wasn't trying to kill Kate, 
Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. She was, she in fact like clipped her with the hook um, so that she wasn't right. going to fall to her death. Right. So I think that uh, I did, I did very much enjoy that moment between them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, real quick back to the mask taking off moment. Um, I just like, what do you think they put that in there because of COVID? Like, what a metaphor. Like, taking our mask off, everyone thinking we're beautiful. <laughs> Oh, like you my know, personal story I just shared a few minutes ago? Yeah, you know, I heard. thought that, yeah, that maybe they put that in there for you, Tara. <laughs> Thank you but, so much. You're invited yeah. to guest on the podcast anytime, right? You've been oh, wonderful. Wow. Thank <laughs> you very much. Um, I was going to say, like, to your point about, like, when Eleanor talking to Clint in that scene outside the elevator, like, she was very clearly, like, knowing. Mm. You know, when she was talking about Natasha, like, clearly she knows, I don't know if this is something, like, the general public would know. She knows that Clint and Natasha had a close relationship. She seems to, like, know maybe something about Natasha's death. Clearly knows that Clint has kids. Um, And that's, like, that made her seem just all the more suspicious to me. You know, when if the possible tie between her saying the thing about her kids and Maya having like the list of Clint's family members in her apartment. You know, I think Elena has a lot of possibilities to like have her hands in sketchy pots. Sketchy Um, pots and cahoots. Sketchy pots. And I did, I I also assumed that she had called Val. She seems like she would know Val. They probably go to like the same hair salon or something. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like she seems like Julia Louis-Dreyfus would be her friend. Well, Actually, I made, so I made that joke. We heard a reference to the upcoming Bishop Company holiday party in this episode. Mm-hmm. And I am so looking forward to seeing the Bishop holiday party, hopefully in episode five or six of the show. And mm-hmm. I, could see, I could see Val being a guest at that party. I don't know if she's actually going to be yeah. here in this mm-hmm. show, but if we were to think about this world, uh, that, that would certainly be... That would make sense. Like she, cool. she would fit into that. Yes. Yes, she sure. would. Yeah. Now, that scene we were just talking about, Eleanor goes and calls someone, and Clint immediately texts his wife, Laura, played by the wonderful Linda Cardellini. And it is in this episode that we're seeing a side of Laura that we haven't necessarily seen before. So I'm very curious, what are we thinking about Laura? Yeah, I was very intrigued by the lore developments in this episode because prior to especially this episode but especially this show like you never really got a sense that she had any sort of role in Clint's quote-unquote professional life um but the you know just really raised so much questions of like how exactly is she getting information and how is she looking up tracers it's, I find it really interesting that Clint seems to have shared pretty much everything about, you know, his superhero work with her. And also they speak German. What's up with that? Yeah, I was racking my brain, like, who have we seen in the MCU who spoke German? And I kept coming up with Russian. So, I don't know. <laughs> I was going to say, like, Helmet Cole, <laughs> uh, Hydra. Helmet Cole. Oh, Zemo? Oh, yeah, whatever. Helmet Cole is an actual historical figure. 
um, I think he's. Does he speak German? I th- he's not he German? I guess he's Sokovian, but oh, was he? He was Sokovian. Oh, okay. Yeah, but that's right. You're right. I'm yeah. like Helmut is a a German name because Helmut right. Helmut Kohl was the Chancellor of Germany from 1982 <laughs> to 1988. Oh my gosh! Uh, <laughs> Thank you for that. Yeah, you never know um, what you're going to learn so, here on there was an idea. So, exactly. So I identified Helmut as a German name yes. because of that, and assumed Zemo was German. But I guess you're right that he's Sicilian. Yeah, um, so I'm wondering. Uh, Ulysses Claw was he German? But he only ever speaks in English. Or Wakanda. yeah, isn't he South African? Oh, that would make sense that he's South African. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. So I, it's definitely something that I. So I feel a little torn on, right? Like, so this whole time, I'm like, the MCU got Linda Cardellini in this world, and she doesn't have much to do, right? Especially before this show, she really didn't have much to do at all. And in this show, I've been loving how how much they have established through their phone calls that she and Clint are very close, that they're a very supportive partnership, that they seem to be a very equal partnership, that she is in touch with what's going on with his professional life. She knows about the Ronin thing. And it's been lovely, but this episode tipped it over into the edge of like, okay, so is there a secret here? Is she an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. of some kind? What's really going on? And I find myself questioning if I even want that because at this point I've I've really enjoyed how they have set her up as a regular person who is really supportive of this other regular person who's not quite as regular because he happens to be an Avenger. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if they are laying the groundwork for a potential let's dive deeper into her backstory. The MCU loves to keep its options open or if mm-hmm. they're definitely going to be pursuing something else or, or not, but it's, it's certainly, it's certainly intriguing. And I never say no to seeing more Linda Cardellini. I would never I would agree with yeah. that statement. Yes. Um, <laughs> and it's, you know, it's, I also wonder, like, at what point did she become so involved with this? Was it always for their entire marriage? Was it, you know, after the blip? Was there, like, a turning point where suddenly she became more involved with this? It's, uh, I'm very curious. Yeah, I would say with complete confidence that it was after the blip. What makes you say that? It just seems like that's the time when you share everything, you know? Mm -hmm. It just seems like after you, like lose someone for what you think could be forever Mm. and they come back you're gonna want to share like your entire world with them wow that's that's beautifully said thank you oh man here we are in the christmas spirit of sentimentality (laughs) boy um well, speaking of the Christmas spirit of sentimentality, and I promise I didn't intentionally <laughs> segue that, but one of my favorite scenes in this episode, and we already touched on it a little bit, is the Clint and Kate impromptu Christmas sweater movie marathon pizza dog party. And oh, yes. I just had a blast with this. I thought this was so cute. What are your thoughts? Loved it. Also loved it. Favorite scene in the episode. I would like to point out that Clint is a strawberry br- like ice cream fan. That was the ice cream that was in his freezer. I rewinded the show like five times just to figure out what kind of ice cream person he was. And I don't know. That just seems off brand. 
personally. He does have a branding issue. Well, yeah, definitely a branding issue. It's like strawberry ice cream and the like daiquiri packs. Like, would not expect. It's likely that he um, didn't buy those though, because that was that was her aunt's mm, house. Unless um, he went out and bought that stuff specifically. But if we're you know, I was gonna say. Strawberry ice cream is like what my 65 year old aunt likes. So that makes sense then. I could see Clint getting the daiquiri packs being like, these are good ice packs. Right. You know? Mm, Yeah. Maybe he'd be like, let me grab a little ice cream too while I'm here. (laughs) I like this. I thought it was. We'll have to, uh, (laughs) we'll have to ask our listeners like, did Clint get the daiquiri mixes and the ice cream or were they already in the freezer weigh in with your thoughts Cool. yeah a good question I, also maybe that's just a normal thing in that universe to use those as ice packs maybe. because when kate came in she did not say a word about it she just yeah. moved on like it was normal yeah that's true yeah. and i th- also in I think it's the second episode when they first go to that apartment. I wonder if we can see what's inside the freezer because Kate does go in the freezer to get um, the pizza. Good call. Great point. So I think we're going to have to go back and see if there was ice cream there already because it's in the door. I think you'd see it. We are on our way to investigating one of the most meaningful (laughs) mysteries of the Hawkeye series. Jack who? Eleanor what? No. Who owns the strawberry ice cream? cream. Whose ice cream is this? That is it. Also, does Kate's aunt have a Thanos was right mug? Who is this lady? Oh, yes. yes. Thanos was right mug. But in universe, like, oh, my goodness. Is she one of these conspiracy theory people? She thinks Thanos was right. Holy cow. Very interesting. What are their Thanksgiving dinners like, Kate and her aunt? (laughs) Also interesting that Clint kept using it. Was that the only mug in the house? Or is he like a masochist? That very much felt to me like a a sight gag that in real life, I I can't imagine the same man who was sitting there not able to fall asleep because of this intense trauma he has. I, I can't imagine that same person willingly really using a Thanos was right bug. I think that this is a, a suspension of disbelief moment, but in universe, mm-hmm. it, it, I, I don't think it, it really makes sense. That's true. Which of the two ugly sweaters featured in this episode would you rather wear? The cat one. The one that Clint was wearing, definitely. I, um, truthfully, at the moment, can't remember what they each looked like. I, I, now that you said the cat one, I remember it. Mm-hmm. What did the other one look like? I just thought of this question off the top of my head. I didn't prepare for this. I need to look up what they look like. <laughs> I, like, put ah, this in my notes. The green, Clint wears a green one with, who looks like Grumpy Cat on it. And yeah. mm-hmm. Kate is wearing a blue one with a dog on it. This is so hard because I like dogs better than cats, but I like green better than blue. What kind of dog Stuff. is it? Like Why a don't you pudgy jowl looking so, one. Oh, so we're not matching. Oh, true. Yeah. So I'll take the dog one because mm-hmm. I don't think we should wear the same one. I'll wear the antlers that pizza dog is wearing. Cute. Oh, cute. You also, I'd also like to point out for your listeners that you are indeed wearing a Christmas, like an ugly Christmas Harry Potter themed. It is. It's a, it's from the band, uh, the wizard rock band, Harry and the Potters, who I saw a number of years ago. I recall them. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It's fun. 
Well, back to that scene again. I, I for anyway. me, just a perfect, perfect <laughs> balance of the holiday cheer and then this, the seriousness of their conversation. But I love that we see them bonding here. The hour arrows uh, mm-hmm. scene that you already mentioned, and that some of the plot mechanics of okay, we we need to get the, these arrows back, et cetera, and so on. Uh, mm-hmm. The the coin trick, which you've already mentioned, it was nice to see them bonding. And then, of course, as we already talked about, they have this this fun night of connection. And and I think he really does feel the connection uh, to your point about the mixed signals there. They're all over the place in this episode because he even says to her, he's like, you know, I really appreciate what you did. It means a lot. He calls her very thoughtful. And you can tell, I think he's really, he's invested in, in this, this sense of belonging that they're finding with each other. Um, of course, we see that conversation that you've already brought up about the best shot that you ever took, the one that he didn't take. Mm-hmm. And she, I, I appreciate that she also is not a dummy here. She's catching on that he means Natasha. And mm-hmm. she's catching on that he lost his family in the blip when they're watching It's a Wonderful Life on the TV. So that scene, a couple of big things that stick out that connect to our, our bigger idea of, you know, well, what would it mean to be Hawkeye? What would it mean to be this regular person who's thrown into this world of avenging? And uh, how is he setting an example for her, not just in the awesome trick arrows that she was so excited about last episode, but also the reality of it. And he says to her, when you do what I do for a living, it's just a case of managing loss. And that is really heavy. She, as I said, picks up on the fact that he lost his family and asks him, is that where you met the Ronin? And then says, it's you, isn't it? He says everybody dealt with the blip in their own way. I continue to do what I was trained to do. She says protect people, and he says no hurting people. My job has always been to hurt people. She says you were a hero, and he says no, I was a weapon, which is a nice connection to the title of the um, of the volume one of the Fraction Aha comics that I've talked about before, which are which is called My Life as a Weapon. So this is huge. This is a lot of learning about Clint. And Ray, you were talking before about how you felt connected to him and that you do care about him. Uh, how did this How did this scene play out for you? What did you guys think about this reveal of him being Ronan and how Kate took that in and, and what he shares with her here? So I thought so a few things. Um, one thing I thought was interesting was Kate's um, kind of like, willingness to overlook anything quote-unquote bad that clint has done like when he like he seems ashamed of what he did as ronan thinks that he's not doing the right thing but she kind of like won't accept him as having done something wrong she kind of does like obviously she's been hero worshiping him since she was about 10 Mm -hmm. um so i think it's it's interesting and it kind of you know shows her in like kind of a more youthful light than we normally think of her as and um almost make makes me a little worried you know it's like Kate be careful like this guy's not perfect you can't put him on a pedestal like that so I think that was really interesting the um I'm a weapon conversation uh right you brought this up before that you pointed out that that felt like very like a very much like a parallel to people in the military Mm um and it it does. It's very interesting, especially some of the specific things he says about, um, you know, Kate says he was protecting people. He says he was hurting people. Um, and we've talked about this before 
um, with Marvel and military commentary where there's Marvel, MCU stuff does seem to do a lot of this kind of coded language about almost military criticism. Like we talked about in Captain Marvel, there's some of that kind of an Iron Man about kind of like the gray area of the military. And so I thought that was really, really interesting. When I rewatched the episode with that in mind, I noticed that in that beginning scene with Jack and Eleanor, once Jack realizes who Clint is, he goes, oh, thank you for saving the world. Yeah. And it's like very like when people would start telling people in military uniforms, like, thank you for your service, which pretty much everyone I know who has been in the military, like, hates here. It's like, okay, it's- I roll. Like, <laughs> okay. Um, which is kind of Clint's reaction to that as well. Um, yeah, he's like, don't mention so- it. what else do you say yeah right it's just like a very weird thing that people say to like make themselves feel good um so i i thought it was kind of neat how they they threw that type of stuff in there too which is a a kind of consistent theme in marvel things i think yeah no i i like really enjoyed this parallel to the military i think because i mean it wasn't like seeing it as like a positive light it was kind of showing like the negative effects it's having on Clint obviously right now and like you know not all like superheroes like you don't need to like kill in order to like save the world and I think that it was kind of giving that type of message which by the way this is not Marvel DC but that is exactly how the Flash feels and he does not kill people Mm. so you know maybe if like the Flash and you know like Clint had a little combo (laughs) it could be a good heart to heart yeah Clint might feel better I think so yeah you love the, the flash, flash would huh? forgive him. I do. But he's also seen as like a Jesus complex. So it's like another type of like, you know, that type of parallel. Very but, interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. I, I think what you guys are speaking to is, and, and you're right. We have, we have talked about this before with the MCU is like this depiction of the disconnect between how other people take in the, the, heroism, like how other people are taking in the thank, thank you for saving. Oh, we're going to make a musical about this. And then what it is actually like for the people who have been in that position and right. dealt with the reality of it and that there is a disconnect there in the, in the trauma that stays with, with people uh, realistically in, in real life. And then also with our, our guy Clint here. And I think what's so interesting is, you know, if you see this as him as a person who is trying to not tell Kate what to do or not do until the end of the episode when he's just like, we're not partners. We were never partners. I'm like, you were partner. Come on. Like, but, um, but you're going to be, you're going to be partners again. Loves Um, gaslighting. But until until that moment, right? Like he, he's been really great with letting her make her choices, but also wanting her to be informed and to know that this is a game of managing loss. Like this is what it's like. And, and she's, beginning to learn that in her own way the certainly the scene last week when he's on the phone with his son you can see that it's she's starting to understand the impact of it i'm with you also though ch that like i was a little bit surprised that she wasn't more taken aback by learning that clint is ronin now perhaps the general public doesn't know well that's not true i was gonna say maybe they don't know too much about 
all of the people Ronan killed, but we certainly saw back in episode one that there is public knowledge of who Ronan is. Um, so I, I was a little bit surprised, as you said, they even point out again in this episode just how much she she has been, I think her mom says, obsessed with Clint Barton, you know, mm-hmm. since 2012. So I was a little bit mm-hmm. surprised at that. I do wonder if there will be some more reckoning with that in moving forward. I think it's a bit more realistic if she has some more reckoning with that. Then again, this is also a six-episode series, and I do understand that that some of this needs to move a little bit quickly. So I'm I'm willing to just suspend some disbelief there. Mm-hmm. Also, um, one other thing on that conversation, his um, you know, his comment about managing loss. What was the exact quote again? You have it there. He says, "When you do what I do for a living, it's just a case of managing loss." Yeah, I think it's really interesting to look at that comment and. Clint's version of managing loss versus uh, Wanda, mm. whose mm-hmm, mm-hmm. version of managing loss is like creating an alternate reality bubble where she takes over everyone's lives to turn them into sitcoms. You got to watch the show, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's really good. So I just I want to draw that parallel there. It's it's just interesting. The different ways in which people manage loss and maybe... Um, the ways in which Wanda was not equipped to do so. Yeah. Um, as compared to Clint and his way of managing loss, which also is not super great, but it's different, right? He even says like everybody dealt with the blip in their own way, but yeah, I I think that's a really interesting Mm -hmm. parallel to draw. And in terms of what is equipping them or not, you know, I, I guess part of what grounds Clint is the fact that he, he does have this family and he was in this position where after the events of Endgame, his family came back Versus Wanda, who lost vision forever and didn't, you know, had already lost everyone else in her family. Uh, So that's really interesting to speak to Mm -hmm. how relationships help. Right. And also, like, you know, how the way you if you're dealing with loss and grief and you have an exorbitant amount of power, you know, how that looks different from just like a regular person dealing with loss and grief. You know, a regular person can't really do what Clint or Wanda did in response to that. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. Which is why you could also see in some of the landscape that they've painted of it, both in Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and then even here in this show with some of that funny side gag stuff like the Thanos was right. But like, to your point, I think that's interesting that in this world, Mm -hmm. post blip, those regular people who, like, to his point you know, had their own way of dealing with what happened. Like, is that where you get the people who are Thanos apologists or you get the people who, you know, we know aren't right, but mm. you get the people who have experienced this very differently than the people whose POV we're in, um, which is interesting to think about. You got more of that in Falcon as well with the uh, the Flag Smashers group and all of that. So yeah. it's interesting stuff that they're painting here. I'm mm-hmm. curious about any other standout moments from this episode or any other scenes that we haven't yet talked about oh yes i have one so we talked about we didn't talk about the like larping scene Mm, going to like the um to those people to help get back the trick arrows and the reason i bring this up is because of the um the gay character with the wife um because i thought it was very funny when Clint and Kate were leaving with the trick arrows and she didn't want to give them her bag because it was embroidered and her wife gave it to her. Um, and it said bombshell. On it. 
And I just think that that was fantastic and, uh, and worth noting. Yeah, I thought that was great. Um, the MCU's second one-line gay character. Well, you haven't seen Eternals yet. Well, so then, yeah, you're right. Second, second one-line gay character. Right. Right, because, well, well, we and have... And Eternals, and also there's Loki. Loki in it. Yeah, you're right. But you were, because you were talking about Endgame, right? Yeah, I was talking about Endgame. Yeah, that was a great moment. Um, and then another thing I wanted to talk about. <laughs> I have like no go. I can't wait. <laughs> okay, so then also we were talking we were talking about this CH and I before we started recording about how Clint when talking about the owner of the Rolex, the mm. the watch, he refers to them using they them pronouns. Yes. I think <laughs> it's like, you know, I feel like we're supposed to assume that that's because he's trying to keep the like identity of the person secret, but I'm choosing in my ideal world that it is actually, in fact, a non-binary person that uses say them pronouns. So I'm going to decide to whoever it ends up being is a non-binary person. I love that. <laughs> Thank you. There have been a lot of theories out, out there about who could be the the owner of this watch is it laura barton is it wilson fisk kingpin who i don't know if that means anything to to you guys but that's certainly a discussion that's out there right now is it somebody related to maya is it perhaps uh another theory that's out there is um kate's dad who might not be dead or like what like all of these different ideas about who mm-hmm. this rolex could who this rolex could be connected to Maybe Nick Fury, perhaps there. There are certain language that Nick, that he uses yeah. that kind of hints toward who it might be. And and this is a you're you're throwing in yet another theory as to who this could be. And I um unnamed, yeah. hitherto unknown, non-binary character. It's possible, exactly. And or it also it could just be uh, someone in in the MCU who uses multiple pronouns. So there you go. Ooh, yeah, for maybe. definite, it yeah, could also be alternatively people. multiple people. Mm. Yeah, I suppose that's true too. So. Plural. He does say it was someone I used to work with, but true. He says goodbye, friend. Yeah. Be, since we're on the topic of the watch, Fury was actually one of my thoughts, but also I was wondering um, with his use of they pronouns, barring it not like if it's not a non-binary person, which would <laughs> obviously be the preferred ideal. Answer. Yes. Um, <laughs> I think the fact that he does use they pronouns almost makes me feel like it's more likely to be a woman just because That's like if he had used she pronouns, someone would pick up on that and be like, Oh, she, hmm, hmm, who's a woman? Who is it? You know? Um, I don't know. Like for some reason, Sharon Carter was like the one person I could come up with that would fit into that. But um, it's an interesting idea. Um, too. I don't Like, I don't know if Clint ever worked with Sharon Carter. I have no idea. It's like how, um, People are really good at using they them pronouns when they don't want their like significant other to know the gender of the person they've been hanging out with. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've definitely heard that. Um, it's like that. <laughs> That's a great connection. Yeah, I think you're right in terms of storytelling, in terms of script writing, that usually that's done barring it being a character who intentionally uses pronouns like that, which is not out of the realm of possibility. But barring that, it is often However. done in a way that is uh, meant to make us realize that it, it could be open to anyone and, and it's not limited. Right, uh, yeah. 
So yeah, regarding the watch, I think that there's a lot of question marks. I don't tend to over theorize. I will say that I think that there's already a lot of moving pieces involved in the show and there's already a lot of characters in the show. So I think that some of the stuff that fans are speculating on regarding Maya Lopez, the character who is going to be known as Echo and have her own Disney Plus series. We already know this. It's already been announced. I think a lot of the stuff related to her life, and I do think that uh, the character of of Kingpin is probably going to be much more related to her story. My sense is that that will probably, while it's being hinted at here, is likely going to be something that comes up more in full force in the Echo show. And I, I don't want to get too sidetracked with that because I think this is very much the Hawkeye show and it's about Clint and it's about Kate and it certainly involves Jack and Eleanor and it now involves Yelena uh, as well. So I'm very much hoping in these last two episodes we get our questions answered regarding Jack and Eleanor and that we the Maya stuff I don't expect to be wrapped up neatly in a bow because we already know she's going to have her own series. But what else is on your mind? Um, so just a couple of other standout moments I'd like to shout out. Um, I love the line when Linda Carlini was trying to speak in coded language. Uh, he's been learning Russian and jogging a ton. <laughs> to <laughs> tell Clint that someone was in the tracksuit mafia. Um, and I think we would be remiss if we didn't bring up the boomerang arrow conversation. Yes. A nod to the comics as well. And in the comics, it's, it's actually reversed where it's, Kate, who is a little bit flabbergasted as to why such a thing would exist, and they switched it for the show. But yeah, I thought that was super, super cute. It's very funny. I also enjoyed the moment when uh, Kate was going into the building to get the watch Mm -hmm. and starts helping a man (laughs) with his groceries. Um, And it's just like holding a brown paper bag with kale sticking out of the top Mm. and like looking like Katniss in an elevator (laughs) and then like seems like crazy telling this guy he's talking she's talking to an Avenger I just thought that was really funny and chaotic and I loved it very funny Yeah, that was fantastic. The He's in my ear. Uh, that was great. I also liked how that pointed at some of the differences with Kate and Clint as well, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's strategizing about how he's going to get into the building and she's just like, yeah, I'm just going to go help this guy with his groceries. I'm going to take the elevator. It's yeah. Yeah, with somewhat of a generational difference maybe or just a mm-hmm. difference in approach, which, which I found to be cute. Or like yeah. perhaps um, like age also because I feel like sometimes she is definitely reckless with like like you know like he's like talking and all of a sudden like turns around and she's gone you know which I feel like could bring her into trouble which it did yeah actually Um. yeah for sure (laughs) and it's like she's like I'm going with this hiding in plain sight approach but she's full on in like a purple like Katniss Katniss suit with like a quiver and a giant arrow like that's not hiding in plain sight, honey. That's, like, very obvious. <laughs> yeah, she's got a lot to learn. Because he, even he yeah. says that his is collapsible, right? Like, he's he's kind of yeah. learned some of the some of the. He's like, are. what do you do about this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other thing I really noticed in this episode is that Clint, his, like, his voice and the way he speaks, sometimes he sounds exactly like Michael Bluth from Arrested Development. Wow. And... I just I want you to listen for that. I will definitely be listening for that next time. I look. It took me to a little bit it. to place. I was like, "Who does he talk like? Like, why does he sound like that?" And it's Michael Bluth. 
He's like, you just take the uh, thing and, uh, you know, you, you snap it. Yeah. <laughs> Do we have anything else to say about that apartment break-in? Of course, so they, they break into mm-hmm. what is Maya's apartment, and we see the notes, as you already mentioned, on his family. Mm-hmm. I did like the bit of, like, she's fighting Maya in the apartment, and he's fighting somebody else on the roof, and we don't know who it is. Uh, did you guys have a mm-hmm. sense going into the episode? Well, Ray, you already said that you... You hadn't previously been graced by the wonder that is Florence Pugh as Yelena. Unfortunately, no. Yes. <laughs> so, but did you did you have any indication, Siege? I before she was unmasked, I feel like it was about three seconds before she was unmasked. I was like, "Oh my god, it's Yelena!" I, and I, I don't know what made me think that she uses the widow bite than- stingers. Oh, I don't. I didn't notice. That that was a the the like electricy things. Yeah, I didn't know this was a, a um. widow weapon, but I don't know. Just at some point, I I realized it was her, and I got very excited. I, I think I also knew that she was supposed to be in the show, yeah. so I think like at some point, I just kind of made the connection. But but prior to that fight scene, like it had kind of been off my radar that she was supposed to show up at some point. Yeah, I definitely uh, knew she was coming. But it was still extremely delightful. She didn't even say anything in this episode, though. Like, I, I can't yeah. wait for her I know. next week. She didn't need to. No, she didn't. I'm just so excited no. for but, I'm but waiting her? to be graced by her vocal Oh, voice. my God. Yeah, and her little, ac- her little so accent. Um, she has an accent. Yeah. But, like, her, also her fight moves were, like, incredible. Like, she was amazing. I know that was a stunt double. Her. That was a stunt double, I know, but I don't care. Um, <laughs> yeah, the stunt team is, is wonderful. The stunt, they, the stunt person did an amazing job. Like, those were great fight moves. Like, it looked great. And then when she finally took that mask off, um, it was amazing. I, I would like to see more scenes with Kate and Yelena together. Definitely, definitely. With each other. Definitely. Um, together. 100%. Yeah, maybe yeah. like at the Bishop holiday party dressed in formal Oh my God. And like matching, or not, maybe not matching, but like suits, like complimentary suits. Mm. Kate has some really good suits. Excellent suits. Such good suits. Love a good suit. I guess the floral one was meant to be like from her aunt's house, but it was still it looked amazing yes i loved it (laughs) it was really good i'll cut this but the aforementioned holiday party i went to the other night i was i wore a kate inspired fit i I wore like uh, all black (laughs) yeah i did i wore a black shirt black blazer wow did your mom tell you to wear a red dress and that's what you did (laughs) i was like no mom you don't get to tell me what to wear to the faculty holiday party at which you also work she didn't go. It's fine. Um, <laughs> yes, I got a lot of compliments, anyway. as you may. may I have, have you heard? heard a lot of compliments. <laughs> a lot of compliments. Um, <laughs> so, in addition to some more Yelena and Kate interaction, anything that you're hoping to see, or any burning questions that are on your mind moving into next week? I I told you this in episode when I was watching episode one or two, but I'm still going to say that I'm holding out for Jessica Jones. Mm. I I texted you about this, but I noted that the building hallway of that aunt's apartment looks just like my recollection mm-hmm. of Jessica Jones's apartment building hallway. And the apartment layout is the same it can't be mm. jessica jones's apartment because hers is at the end of the hall and this one's at the middle of the hall but the apartment layout is exactly the same 
Um, You're such a fan now. Knowing exactly where Jessica Jones' apartment is, like, wow. (laughs) I watched Jessica Jones before I watched any MCU stuff. Um, And also, I did pause on the buzzer at the front door in the episode whenever they first go to that apartment, and there is one of them says Jones on it. Oh, Oh, you did do that. Nice connection. Thank you. I'm going to kind of hold out for Jessica Jones. That's fair. I like, I'm really hoping for a ring to come. Like, I want Clint to commit and <laughs> to just like come out and be like, Kate, will you be my partner? But like, not romantically, you know? Like, I just, I need, I need the gaslighting to stop. So instead of a ring, but maybe it's a special arrow of some kind or a boomerang arrow. That would be so romantic. Wow, that would be really romantic. That would, that would be really nice. Yeah, that would be like such a callback, you know. Yeah, and like a mantle passing of like, here's a boomerang. Oh, now I yeah. want to see it. I like it. I like it very much. <laughs> All right. So I want to thank you both so much for joining me here today to talk about episode four of Hawkeye. And I very much look forward to having you back on again. As I said, Ray, with the compliments that you've been throwing, you are welcome anytime. Yes. And CH, a long time, you know, very popular. <laughs> the, the listeners of the show love you. So if they want to find you, they are going to hear you again here on There Was an Idea. But in addition to that, <laughs> yeah. in addition- it's honestly amazing that you've had me on here six times without me complimenting you at all. If anything, I do the opposite regularly. That's so. okay. I need I need that balance in my life too. I need a little yeah. bit of like that that Clint, like, you know. Yeah, I need a little bit. You know, you can't give me too much. You can't give me too much. Um, <laughs> but Ray, it may interest some listeners mm-hmm. to hear that you are also a, a a creative of sorts, and that you have some lovely art that you share with the world on, on Instagram, and that you sell on Etsy. And I was hoping you could tell us a little bit more about that and where people could check that out if they'd like to. Yeah, for sure. So I, uh, you can come hang out with me on Instagram uh, at Ray Cerulean, Ray dot Cerulean. Um, and I post just a bunch of like fun arts. I make like some earrings and ashtrays and I sell stuff on Etsy and it's like all around good time for, for humans. So come be my friend. Okay. <laughs> Awesome. And I will definitely put links to that in our show notes here today. Thank you both again so much. I cannot wait to text you about what happens in episode five, especially with regards to Yelena Belova. Yes. Yes, that will be our primary topic of conversation. Definitely. I'm sure, over the next couple of weeks. Um, and maybe we'll have you watch Black Widow so you can see like a lot of Yelena Belova. Yeah, I would love that. Yeah. <laughs> thanks for uh thanks for like having us here on your podcast yeah every time the hulk mask is back if you enjoyed this conversation about episode four of hawkeye you can follow the podcast at an idea underscore podcast on instagram and twitter you can check out race rulian's art and their etsy shop by checking out the link in the show notes podcast artwork is by brooke pender who you can follow at instagram at d-e-l-t-a.m-u-s-h and music by Demeter Salvia, who you can find on Bandcamp and SoundCloud. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned next week for a couple of very special things. My first impressions of Spider-Man No Way Home, and then a discussion about Episode 5 of Hawkeye.